tumbling down, pledging their love to the ground. I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Donnie is Shabbos, the Jewish day of rust. That means I don't work. I don't drive a car. I don't fucking ride in a car. I don't handle money. I don't turn on the oven. And I sure as shit don't fucking roll! Nobody fucks with the Jesus. Isn't that what makes a man? Mm, sure, that and the pair of testicles. Here's the fucking money, shithead! Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. Oh, you, you, human paraquat! Uh, dude, uh, tomorrow's already the tenth. Far out. Oh. That rug really tied the room together, did it not? Fucking A. This guy peed on it. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Donnie, shut the fuck up. When do we play? Shut the fuck up, Donnie. 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 Oh. You're bunny. I'll suck your cock for a thousand dollars. Wonderful woman. My art has been commended as being strongly vaginal, which bothers some men. The word itself makes some men uncomfortable. Vagina. Oh, yeah? Yes, they don't like hearing it and find it difficult to say, whereas without batting an eye, a man will refer to his dick, or his rod, or his Johnson. And tomorrow, we come back and we cut off your Johnson. Excuse me? I said we cut off your Johnson! Take it easy, dude. Oh, yeah. I know that you will. Yeah, well, the dude abides. Deep in my heart is a song Here on the range I belong Drifting along with the tumbling Hey guys, welcome into episode 7 of Film Tank. I am your host, Alex Diekman, and on today's episode, we'll be, be discussing, well, you have to call it a classic at this point, the 1998 film The Big Lebowski. On today's episode, we have Nick Cheney with us. Hi. Hello. I can actually hear you now. This is amazing. Yeah, I think it's uh, our new microphones are working great. Yeah, we get, well, you have a new microphone. We, we get the person who's talks like a mouse, a new microphone, and all of a sudden he sounds squeak, like squeak. a fucking giant. Uh, <laughs> I am a giant. Oh. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Toussaint Egan also here today. What it do, guys. What it do, indeed. And Kenny Marcellus also here with us today. You two are the king of awkward, and I love it. Yeah. Every, every show opening. Awkward yeah. turtles. So we keep getting lost in each other's eyes. I think that's the problem. Well, and especially now, because Nick got contacts instead of glasses, there's not like a barrier there. Exactly. So, yeah, so it's, it's, now it's like you're, it's the first time you're truly staring into my soul. I was going to say, the window to the soul is open for business. 
like fucking Las Vegas. Climb it's just in. open. Climb on in, buddy. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, you can reach us at filmtankshow at gmail.com if you'd like to send us an email about a review of upcoming movies or thoughts on previous episodes that we've had. We'd love to hear from you. And speaking of that, we'll get into it more at the end of this episode. But we uh, will be doing a new film review next week as we'll be reviewing Furious 7. Which is yeah! Wow. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, and I think that was the first time that uh, Nick actually blew blew a little too high so it was worth it <laughs> he blew a little too if there's high any win. movie to blow the microphone <laughs> levels for it is furious seven ride or die man that's ride or fucking die it's one last ride yeah oh yeah well it's actually not because there's four more movies after this so that's what? A, yeah there's a bunch more planned so get ready there's going to be a fast and furious uh, cinematic universe stop I th- is it is it uh universal studios hollywood they're doing a Fast and Furious marathon leading up to the premiere of Furious I, I know they actually had the actual cars at Universal yeah. Studios Florida. Right. And and then out in Hollywood, they're showing, they're marathoning the entire thing leading up to the premiere. There are I'm doing theaters. the same thing in my basement. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I'm not, I'm not kidding about that. Yeah. I, you sound like every podcaster when they hear about something. Oh, I'm, do, oh, I'm doing something like that in my basement right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> So, also, you can find us at filmtankshow.com. You can also uh, find us on iTunes and Stitcher, where you can rate and review the show as well, and we would very much appreciate that. Also, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. So, if you want to read some sort of clever tweets every now and then, or see some pretty awesome pictures, uh, go check those out. I mentioned we're talking about The Big Lebowski. If you haven't seen it by this point, you might as well just stop watching movies because not that this, I would call it an essential viewing for well, every film viewer. Watch this one and then stop watching Pause movies. this podcast, watch the film, then come back. There you go. That is probably a perfect analysis. If you haven't seen it and you have been buried under a rock somewhere in Detroit, the film is about the dude, uh, Lebowski, his actual name is Jeff Lebowski, played by Jeff Bridges. He is mistaken for millionaire... The Big Lebowski, who seeks restitution for his ruined rug and enlists his bowling buddies to help get it. Which sounds like the most fucking ridiculous <laughs> plot you've ever heard, and it is, and it's fucking great. Uh, this film stars Jeff Bridges as the dude, also known as Jeff Lebowski. John Goodman as Walter. Woo! Steve Buscemi as Donnie. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Uh, and also uh, some great you know, smaller performances by Julianne Moore. Philip Seymour Hoffman, John Turturro, and even though she's only in the movie for about two minutes, uh, Tara Reid, I just feel like she was perfectly cast for the role as being the stupid white bimbo, Buddy. so <laughs> way to go. She's in Sharknado 3 again. She's, she's still kicking it these days, but yeah. So the Coen brothers, also I should mention, this is a Coen brothers film, and uh, they it, it's definitely a classic, and probably the person will have the most to say about this film, at least uh, in terms of thematic elements is Nick Cheney, who usually starts off our uh, reviews, and let's go ahead and do that right now. Well, okay, that's quite the intro. Um, you deserved it, buddy. <laughs> oh, this is one of my top five favorite films of all time. I mean, comedy, drama, whatever. It's, this is literally one of the five best films I've ever seen, which is kind of saying something, because I've seen quite a few. By the way, if you hear that ice rattling in the background, it's the fact that we're all drinking fucking Caucasians right now. <laughs> That's right. Jin Jin, continue your review now. No, I'm glad that they know that now. Um, and um, this is, yeah, this is, 
I, like my favorite part about this movie is the script. This is honestly what I would call a perfect script, and I think it could literally, it should literally be studied um, because of how wonderfully nuanced it is. And what's great is that it actually takes a few um, viewings, I think, to parse out exactly what this film is doing, but it it so effortlessly weaves this stoner mythology kind of slacker uh, vibe into a film noir uh, universe. And what's great is that like the dude uh, uh, played by uh, Jeff Bridges, of course, like his character should literally not, I would say, fit in well with this kind of a story. But that's what makes him fit perfectly because he he's just thrusted into these ridiculous scenarios, and that's what makes it hilarious. And that's why it's one of the funniest films of all time. Like when you know he's getting hoisted into a limo against his will, and he's he's concerned about spilling his beverage, like little things like that, where he's taking the piss out of every single uh, dramatic moment that would otherwise be very dramatic in like a film noir and whatnot. It's like the universe is conspiring to cast him in a film noir film that he is desperately trying to get out of. Yeah, and unlike so many, I want to say slacker and stoner comedies, he's ultimately he's a very benevolent person. Like yeah. he's actually very caring and compassionate like there are some great callbacks that not only are just funny on the face value and just show how well the script is uh, on a consistency level but it's also uh, points toward his character for example when the when there's a great scene when he's talking to his landlord and um, he of course the landlord asks for the money because he's reminding him that it's due and he goes oh yeah I'll get that sure you know and at this point if you've never seen the film before, you just think of him as this, like, basically what uh, the real Mr. Lebowski thinks of him, as like a dirty hippie, whatever. Um, but when he tells him, the landlord tells the dude that he's got that uh, performance art show that he really wants him to come in, the dude's like, oh, yeah, man, I'll be there, you know, like, you could genuinely... And, and, and he shows up then. Exactly. Like, you could genuinely believe that he was just saying that because he's just trying to get his landlord off it. But not only does he go, but we, of course, we have to, as the audience, we sit through it, too, with them. Now they're talking through it and whatnot. But it's those little things that really show that the dude is one of the most fascinating characters, I think, in all of cinema. He's got um, a good heart. Exactly. Well, and another thing about the dude, which is he's a character that, honestly, there could be a whole college class on just his character. In this there has film. been. But yeah. the thing about him that always gets me is not just that he is this kind of pacifist person who doesn't really have a job, cares about certain things or whatever, but he is very much still in tune with reality. He's not just your typical hippie bum or whatever. Like He's like, yeah, man, I don't have a wife, but you know, whatever, far out, man, cool. Right. He's, he's accepting he's very ass- the world around him, but he just wants to be in his own place. And he's very acerbic. I mean, when he, um, one of my favorite lines, of course, is when in the very first scene when the robbers, well, not the robbers, but mm-hmm. the nihilists, you know, break in and yeah. they look at the bowling ball and they say, what is this? And he <laughs> says, obviously, you're not a golfer. Like <laughs> That is something that, like, that shows that he's actually pretty intelligent and he's very very cognizant of what's going on, despite the fact that he's stoned, you know, pretty much perpetually, um, that nothing is going past him. He just doesn't care sometimes. (laughs) And that's what I find so fascinating. Another thing is that he also has what I call the Tony Soprano syndrome, where he shares a very unique characteristic with uh, one of television's greatest characters, Tony Soprano, in that both characters will uh, recontextualize things that they hear 
without giving credit to them because Tony used to take all the stuff that Dr. Melfi said. This aggression said. will not stand, exactly. man. Exactly. We, we see him in line at the Ralph's uh, grocery store watching uh, Bush mm-hmm. uh, Sr. Yeah. talking about um, what, the Iraq conflict. Yeah, the Iraq conflict. And he says the, uh, yeah, he says This aggression that. will not stand. And later on when he's trying to match wits with Mr. Lebowski, the real uh, Lebowski, he repeats that line and that's just a great little detail of how he, he uses, like, he, that's the thing. He's, he's always present. And so he's always using whatever he can at, you know, with other people and whatnot. At the same time, though, he is using that. But he also is in you. you I wouldn't say this is like a bad thing about him as a person, which is it's fine. But he almost is a people pleaser when it comes to think that yeah. where he is trying to act in a manner that they are in the best way he is possible. Right. And it do does that. show when he's out of his depth. Like when he uses that line, the, this aggression will not stand. He's not technically... In the par links of our times, like riffing off of a mod. Yeah. And he's not necessarily using it in the right context. He doesn't realize that like what he's saying is not really the proper response to what Mr. Lebowski is saying. But all in all, he's just, besides the fact that it's just, it's just a hilarious movie, there's something so, I just want to say positive about it, that is so inescapable. And that script, too, at the end of the day, it's all about how everything will turn out all right in the end mm-hmm. without actually being like a sunny ending. And I think that's just what I just completely return to it year after year is because besides the fact that it makes me laugh there's just like the dude this is the mindset i want to just you know bathe in and it's just it's so great i don't i don't know if this is because of either the fact that the cinematography which is done by roger deakins which is it's fantastic terrific you'd never see comedy shot like this well and i guess that's kind of where i was going back to in they have similarities in their style but almost every time I see this movie, I, I have a hard time thinking of it as a Coen Brothers movie because I always feel like this has so much Paul Thomas Anderson over a lot of parts of it where I feel like there is a lot of things that he has picked up as a filmmaker over the years that are similar to kind of styles that are in this film. Oh, yeah. No, I think Paul Thomas has not only seen The Big Lebowski, but has drawn on it for so many mm-hmm. of his films. Um, another thing I want to mention before I pass it off yeah. is, once again, I, I need to praise the script because... Like I was saying about how the dude repeats things that he hears, there's also so many callbacks to just people saying the same line over and over, but in completely different contexts, which adds to this kind of stoner paranoia that like everybody's out to get the uh, the dude. Because I want to say Walter, um, Walter at one point. Oh no, no, yes, that's what it was. Um, in the first scene when the nihilists, the German nihilists are coming to him and they're asking him, where's the money, Lebowski? We also hear that exact line uttered by, um, I want to say, uh, Walter and the dude when they're both shouting at him uh, at the real Lebowski later on in the film. And they're shouting, where's the money, Lebowski? And there's so many like echoes of lines throughout the entire film, which I just think wonderfully sets up this, like I said earlier, this like stoner, like... Is this really happening? But at the end of the day, it is. And I love that you brought up the callbacks because that was something I was going to go out of my way to mention is this film, it's not it's not like out of control. It's not like a film like written, could... written poorly, like not, not that it was written horribly, but like the Pirates of the Caribbean original script where literally every line is a callback to something that happened earlier in the film. Right. But there are subtle little things that there are lots of them in this film. And a couple of my favorites are Julianne Moore, describing how women's 
genitalia is almost frowned upon and it's like men vagina call, men call themselves they say they're cock or they're johnson and later the nihilists call them we're going to cut off your johnson <laughs> and it echoes yes yeah. i love it those are the kind of things that are so great that's why i was saying earlier like this is the kind of film that you need to watch more than once because i personally i don't even know if i loved it the first i really enjoyed it the first time i watched it but once you start to watch it more than once and you really can pay attention to like every single line that's what's amazing about this movie to me and not only that but one of my favorite uh, jokes in the entire film is a completely unspoken one um, when there, and it's just a scene transition when he's in the doctor's office and mm-hmm. the doctor tells him to pull down his shorts because he wants to do a prostate exam and of course the dude being the dude is like no 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 man I, I told you she hit me up here and he points <laughs> to his face and the doctor's like no no pull down your shorts and it, instead of letting that scene go on it just immediately cuts to the dude in his car listening to Creedence Clearwater Revivals looking out my back door which is a very subtle you know anus joke so yeah. I mean things like that and especially because he's pounding the roof of his car so we know what happened to him a little thing like that where like the movie doesn't hit you over the head with this comedy it's just hilarious I've seen this countless times I've lost track at this point and at first I I was the same way I enjoyed it but it wasn't how I feel about it now, and and it's it's one of those movies that the more you watch it, every time you watch it, you're gonna pick up something that you didn't catch or didn't see the first time, and I just love that I can continue to watch it and like it more and more and more every time. My favorite part about this movie is just the individual characters; they all have such personality. They're, and they're so nuanced in this movie, yeah. and I, I I hate to use that word necessarily, but. This film goes all it's the true. way with every character, yeah. Even Donnie? Even, oh, even, even Donnie. E- yeah. even, One of the best scenes in the movie is uh, toward, and because, of course, we're going to spoil the movie, so I'm just saying that, but toward the end of the film, right before uh, Donnie's death, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's a scene of Donnie bowling, and he rolls his ball down the down the lane and he gets all all the pins except for one and there's just a lingering shot of his face and like the disappointment he's getting from not getting that strike Mm. and so when you contextualize that with uh what's going to happen to him like 10 minutes Mm. later in the film like yeah like it's it's an omen but it's also just taking a time to solemnly reflect on a character that's been completely shit on the entire film (laughs) well and also too when he bowls every other scene that you see him bowling he always gets a strike no matter what the situation is and he always is like woo. That's yeah. exciting. Did and you guys then, also yeah. notice every time he's bowling, his shirt has a different name on it? <laughs> I did not. I did not know every that. single time. It's yeah. a different name. But the best thing is that this movie has so much affection for every single one of its characters that it's just astonishing. And that, that all comes back to the script mm-hmm. for me. Right. And and I, I, love, I love Walter. And, and every scene that he's in, it seems like he starts with whatever is being discussed. Yes. And his anger just fucking escalates and escalates and escalates and it always ends up with him ranting about Vietnam. <laughs> it's so great. Like, he's one of the most logical people ever at the beginning of any of his rants. Mm. And then all of a sudden, yes, he completely becomes untethered. untethered. Yeah. And he starts talking about Vietnam, which is another great thing about the script, because then they completely pay that off later when finally, with like two minutes left in the film, uh, the dude just screams at him, what the fuck does anything <laughs> have to do with Vietnam? So, right. like, the script is also playful with the own like you know like running jokes and whatnot and, and every scene with the three of them every time they're bowling yes it's such a fucking disaster yeah. it none none of them are talking to each other they're just they're just going on and on about whatever 
individual is thinking about and thinking at the time. Well, yeah. I feel like that's why bowling is so important to this film and why it's always made such a big deal about is that they go to the bowling alley because that is a world that they have created where they can actually be themselves because Walter, I'm sure when he's by himself is not pulling guns on people and right. screaming about how John Turturro's a pedophile and all that shit. So. Well, and that's the other thing. Pederast. Using part bo- part of me. <laughs> using, no, no one fuck with the Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> using bowling as the backdrop is, is actually an interesting statement because out of all the sports that they could have chosen, um, like bowling is like literally the, the, the sport of the average man. When we see that montage beautifully shot by Roger Deakins in the beginning for the opening credits um, with one of my favorite Bob Dylan tracks playing over it. We, yeah, we, Tucson is doing the little dance of the kind of overweight guy. Yeah, I love that dance. When he gets that, like, strike. But watching Tucson do it, I felt like I was watching Magic Mike for a minute, so it was a little weird. (laughs) He's he's in a little better shape than that guy was. Just a Uh. little bit. But, but no, but that's what that montage definitely does before we're dropped into this universe it shows how like the dude is just this every man that's thrusted into this larger than life story and like that's i don't know once again that's just another great little detail well i think that's where the even though he's a minor character the sam elliott character comes in who is always giving me a god-like person yeah, he's he like is... an omnipresent narrator character. probably my favorite part of the movie to be honest with you the just the narration of him and, and, yep. his, and his texas Draw that he's got. And Do well, you have to use so many curse words? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck are <laughs> yeah. you talking about? I, I love the opening monologue of this film so much as he is mm-hmm. going, ready to go off on this great thing, talking about the dude and the things that he's done. And he, all of a sudden, he just kind of trails away and oh, just well. ends up saying, like, man and dude over and over. And sometimes then, there's a man. Well, talk about that's the other thing. Saddam and the Iraqis. Yeah. Saddam and the Iraqis. <laughs> From that point on, it's uh, it's showing how the dude's, like, behavior and his attitude is almost infectious. Like, everybody starts to catch what he has. Because as we see um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, uh, Brandt, um, it's great because he's such a like stiff and professional, and yet one meeting with the dude, and he's already calling him dude and like smiling like he's his best friend. Well, he's he's doing the opposite of what the dude is doing to other people, where he right. is uh, he he's obviously conforming. thinks he's going down to his level, but right. he is talking to him how he thinks he is able to communicate. Yeah. Tucson, what about you? You've been really the only person who hasn't really had a chance to jump I know, in too I much. I know everybody has just like dogpile on this thing. It's like, when can I have a well, turn to talk about it? It's a 16 years ago, and this is a classic, so it's, easy, it's, it's an easy one to dogpile I know. on. But, um, but why don't you go ahead and uh, have the floor for a minute or less? I love The Big Lebowski. <laughs> um, I think it's one of the most bizarrely and charmingly idiosyncratic films I've ever seen. And I say that because... The Coen brothers are very distinct, very distinctive directors. If you were to, and hearkening back to an, another conversation that we've had, if you were to scratch their names off of like any of their films... It would look like a penis on the back of the uh, paper, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> but even but then if you scratch out the penis, because then you'd be able to tell them apart, and you show like these films, their films out of sequence with other films, you'd be able to tell their films apart from other directors' films, because even though... None of their films are sequels, and all of their films deal with like different topics and different types of like uh, stories. There's something so intrinsic and so wonderful about their films that sets them apart. And and The Big Lebowski is a film that it's so difficult seeing it multiple times, like even for the for the first, view, first viewings, to really nail down what it is that makes it so good. Whereas it has 
great jokes and great callbacks. We've been been riffing on that this entire podcast. It has an excellent, excellent sound direction with all these different like period like songs from that era. It has a great script, and yet at the same time, like walking out of uh, viewings for it, like multiple times when I first saw it, I could not for the life of me like nail down what the genre of it was, and that's because. Harkening back to something that I, I linked to you guys to to before, it's a slacker noir. It's a it's a it's a it's a film noir film that pretty much is antithetical to everything that makes a noir film a noir film, and yet it's still distinctly a noir film. Yeah, I I, I love that about it. It's totally a deconstruction of it without the pretension of of being a noir film. Yeah, no, they're like. Every time that this film goes off into a noir like detour, what's great is that that's also when the film also basically slaps the audience across the face. Because, mm-hmm. for example, you, uh, I think Alex, you just brought up that joke in the film toward like late in the film where um, the dude is sitting in Jackie Treehorn's mm-hmm. apartment and Jackie goes to take care of something, and the dude finally gets like the first smart idea in the entire film because he's obviously seen <laughs> so many film noirs and he learned a trick, so he gets up and. He goes to take his pencil and he, because he knows that Jackie has just written something and took the last piece of uh, paper off. Does the fucking etch a sketch on it, and all of a sudden yes. they're just a big old fucking uh, Seth from Super Bad Ding Dong there. Exactly. So, yeah. It makes no sense. He's just left <laughs> but, with but a... it makes perfect sense, though, because <laughs> that's all that fucking Jackie Treehorn is, is well, fucking porn. Yeah, right, but porn, also. He's the porn it, guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, but that's just like, it shows like. If he's going to think like a detective, that's how he's actually not going to get anywhere in this case. It's only when he's being the dude that he actually kind of makes logical leaps and whatnot. So that's what's kind of great about the whole I thing. love that at a certain point in the movie, he starts trying to play all the sides yep. for whatever kind of money he can make off and of And the it. PI even like 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 breaks the fourth wall sort of and like talks about that. And the dude's like, the fuck are you talking about? Yep. Um, one thing I definitely wanted to hit on from this movie and... We don't have to go too much into it, but is a, a scene that I feel like could be interpreted a, a different ways, um, and it's just dripping with symbolism, obviously, and it, it, it's trying to, but there is there is symbolism below the symbolism in the psychedelic bowling scene mm-hmm. after he is drugged by Jackie Treehorn. And I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that, because even from the beginning, with the tower of bowling shoes and Saddam Holt handing it to him, to Julianne Moore's character in the Viking outfit... Don't forget the scissors. I, I know. <laughs> what, 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 what is your interpretation of not necessarily that scene as a whole, but kind of the meaning between I, that and the movie? I don't think that, for me at least, I don't like attach any deep meaning to it, because for me it's just a very hilarious and groovy, because I, I love that song and the way it's shot. Um look into the dude's psyche because as i was mentioning earlier like he's a man that attaches uh like he latches on to things that he sees and whatnot so these are all the things that were just rolling around in his subconscious so when he is knocked out against his will and drugged and whatnot literally everything we've seen in that movie comes up pretty much during that dream sequence we have a a jackie treehorn uh porn because that's what the the entire Mm -hmm. kind of montage turns into um we have saddam because obviously the whole iraq conflict is completely percolating in the background of this film and you know other things like bowling and um, the what's her name's character Maud yeah Maud right. um, you know so I, I don't know that there's an, 
necessarily any deep meaning to it, other than the fact that that's just how the dude's mind works. It's such a scattershot of ideas and things that he's interacted with that it's it's just that's what's going on inside his head. Like it's the right. only time when we're actually giving twenty four seven like all assets, you know, to it. I guess that's kind of where I was going with that. What what I that's kind of the answer I was looking for. Well, you're where, welcome. Oh, well, I. <laughs> Thank you, sir. May I have another? Uh, <laughs> you have a scene that obviously is meant to be taken by the audience as symbolism throughout the entire scene. But really, the symbolism of the symbolic scene is it's just the dude having an experience. Much, much like the you know the case he's actually working, you could pull on one thread, but you're not going to get anywhere with it. You're just going to hit another dead end because every time he thinks he has it figured out, like when he thinks the bunny kidnapped herself, that's not technically true. That was that's like a half truth. So as much as we could read symbolism into that dream, it, it's like a fool's errand, and it's just another metaphor for the film itself. You just have to go with the ride because it's just so much fun and it's way more rewarding. Couldn't say it better myself. Mm -hmm. Very well done, sir. Um, also, I'd like to bring up that the uh, Peter Stormor Tara Reed porno name was Logjammin, for Log anybody who didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another thing that I noticed for the first time, this, uh, and I, it's just another great character trait of the dude, is the scene where he gets invaded uh, one of the two or three times by the Nihilist. I think, <laughs> I think it's three. Um, he has Mr. Bubbles in the bath, yes, which is I great. Did, did nice well. marmot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, is this where the ferret gets thrown in the yes, tub? Yes, it is. The... That's my favorite scene. <laughs> well, I laugh that so is the hard. Only, also, that is the only, that is the third out of four, I actually counted it this time, but that is the third out of four times we ever see the dude smoke a joint. Yes. So I'm just saying, for like a stoner comedy, he is not like rolling papers every other scene. It's mm. actually a lot more measured. Yeah, he's not. Josh Brolin in uh, Inherent Vice, fucking inhaling and eating an entire fucking pound of weed. No, no, he's uh, he's way more sober than most people would probably give him credit but for. But he does wear those jellies the entire movie, <laughs> which I actually that cancels it out. Which I actually okay. found out are his own personal jellies. Oh, really? I was reading through the trivia. <laughs> One other fun fact I found out about this: Do you guys know why they constantly are telling Donnie to shut up? Yeah. You, are you guys uh, aware I, I think it's a callback to his annoying character in Fargo. Yes, That's I did it. hear about that. Because That's he's right. so talkative in Fargo yes. that the Cohen brothers decided to work that in. Life yep. does not start and stop at your expense, you miserable <laughs> <laughs> Like That's actually like, like there's a bit of trivia whether or not like John Goodman is speaking in character to Donnie or whether he's talking to one of the Cohen brothers because he tried to stop the scene. Yep. Dude. John Goodman I think is that's hilarious. one thing we haven't really talked about too much is uh, the character of Walter. Um, I can understand why some people might be, because I think you were saying that earlier, Alex. He's not necessarily, I, I, I don't dislike him. Yeah. I feel like in a film where there's such good characterization of almost everybody, uh, there are times when I don't get necessarily annoyed with him. But I feel like he's doing the same trick over and over and over again. And I feel like I'm more interested in watching the do. But I think that is something that you definitely get in this film from multiple viewings. As you know, you can see the nuance in Walter, even though it's not there on the surface. No, oh, yeah, for sure. I, I just love him because he's just this petulant man-child. I mean, his, his raging... <laughs> 
it is always like on like just what people remember the most but the thing that cracks me up the most about his character is when he actually like when he gets called out on it and then all of a sudden he completely regresses and like when he's in the car and uh, uh, right after he had pulled the gun you know on, on that other bowler for stepping over the line and they, they make their way out to the car and the dude tells him to calm down after he's been shouting and then John Goodman just delivers it perfectly and he's just like calmer than you are and like he's just, he is so calmer calm, than but, you are so like, it's just that child's mentality of like oh you know, I, I can play your game type thing. It's, it's, he, he also does have, uh, I think, one of the best lines of the movie for me um, because he decides to throw a bag called the ringer, the ringer out instead of the box that was full of a uh, million dollars or part the briefcase was full of million which dollars. Which turned out to be a ringer. Because, right. Which and, is, and then and then uh, the dude has a line, man, you threw a ringer for the ringer. And, I, <laughs> and that's... Also, that's the, that's the movie itself aping on its own tropes. Like every time they think they've outsmarted this, you know, quest or this plot, they they, they find out that they're actually just two steps behind, which is where the slacker stoner kind yeah. of well, thing comes in. Well, and I play. feel like the the my favorite small scene. It's actually my favorite part of the entire movie. It's a short fifteen second thing. It's where the dude has finally made the normal person's decision to. I need to fucking stop these people from coming into my home and he goes out of his way to take a two by four <laughs> yes. and nail it to the ground and yes. put a chair and make sure it's dead tight against the door so the door won't be able to open and then it is come to find out that the door opens the other way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the pe- the person comes right in and right. you just see him sitting there like he hadn't even fucking considered that that was a possibility <laughs> like he, it's, it's funny you guys are talking about how he's always two steps behind everything yet he he called out the fucking plot right in the beginning when he said she probably just kidnapped herself like he had that figured out but then yeah the entire movie he's just that's because he's a very rational person but he also is like Oh, there's a uh, car alarm going off. Yeah, we our studio is in a really <laughs> shitty part of town, so um, if you ever hear, hear a murder happening on this show, it wasn't us. I think it's Walter out there beating the shit out of a Porsche. Oh, um, Another great... I mean, that, that is a pretty, great pretty, pretty much every scene of this movie, you can right. argue to why this, it's a great scene. This so. movie has one of my favorite, uh, I would say, like comedy devices, which is a... Um, but it's hard to pull off, at least for me, because it's... It's when you have a one-sided phone conversation where you can't hear what the other character is saying. So when uh, the dude is talking to Walter <laughs> on the phone and you just – after they had destroyed uh, that car outside of Larry's house, the high school kid who stole the dude's car. And when you just hear the dude's side of the conversation because it's Jeff Bridges and he's delivering it perfectly. When mm-hmm. he says, no, Walter, I don't think the kid was about to crack. Like that's just one of the – because you know exactly how uh, – uh, Walter would say it. Exactly. Yeah. You know exactly what John Good is John Goodman is saying because of how well Jeff Bridges is delivering his side of the conversation. Uh, in an in, in earlier conversation on the phone, I I love when when uh, it's Sunday and he's not even supposed to pick up the phone and he yeah. says I'm, Sat- Saturday, get it right. Saturday, yeah. Shabbos Saturday, man. Yeah. Shabbos Saturday. I'm not even supposed to pick up the phone unless there's an emergency. <laughs> but of course, he knew this was an emergency yeah. because it <laughs> says an emergency when he picks it up. Yeah. <laughs> and also the scene with Larry, the kid, when they go to his house and his dad is on fucking full life support. Yes. Yeah. He's in a fucking iron lung, isn't he? I yeah, an iron yeah, lung. He's, got polio he's, or he's yelling at him. We're huge fans. <laughs> that is such. By the way, that scene. I don't know why. Of all the scenes of this movie, 
but it just seemed so much of a blast from the past of seeing like a 70s living room. Like I felt like he walked into the fucking Brady Bunch living room when he went into that house. I think that scene alone is like the Coen brothers in a microcosm. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not so much something that you wouldn't expect, but it's just something you would not have thought of yeah. when they walk through that door. Neither would those characters. So when they walk in and they see that, they're like, what did we just walk into? Like that's the feeling of watching a Coen brothers film. It's, I, it's I, watching these adventures and not realizing like how did how why are we doing this and then once of course you're there you understand i also love like 30 seconds after they walk in and they they know about who this person is and they're like oh yeah he's over there she's like oh he's very sick it's like well yeah <laughs> fucking yeah he is he's in a goddamn iron yeah. london's and fucking then, house and then walter has does he still write <laughs> i don't think they even used those anymore in that time uh um, we mentioned all kinds of characters, and we, we've talked about John Turturro. You don't fuck with the Jesus. Um, they're, also, they're, uh, David Stulis. Yes, and they, he was, always forget that he was the person I was going to mention as he plays oh the God, role of Remus in Harry mind. Potter. Yes, he also I completely forgot about this, and this is a little bit of a sidestep, but that's okay. Okay, he is uh, the father in a pivotal character in the movie called The Boy with the Striped Pajamas. Oh, okay, and if you have not seen that movie, it will fuck you up after it <laughs> so just let you know you think it's gonna be oh good old fun in games world war ii holocaust movie pajama party what yeah but actually no it's actually going to fuck you two ways from sideways and he is a big reason why two ways from sideways but he I plays love that. such a fucking unusual character for everything because he plays a pretty normal role and he plays a straight guy in almost every movie he's in in this movie he's yeah. so out there with his giggle and his laugh and Be- his yeah, besides oh, yeah. Harry Potter, the movie I know him best is one of my all-time favorite films called Naked, which is a British film, and it's a very disgusting and like crude... Uh, so he's not playing the straight guy in that movie? He, well, no, he's not playing the straight guy, but he's also the sanest person in the film. Oh, okay. Like, it's like a very crazy film, but he's also he's the only person that makes any sense, okay. which is what... So he's not playing like a off-the-wall character or anything like that? He is and he isn't. Okay. He's just as crazy as you'd expect, but... Um, but yeah, but going from that to this, like it's it's he's one of those actors that can truly transform himself because I actually forgot it was him until I saw the credits and I was like because I knew I knew who it was yeah I just could not place it so I, I had to look it up because I, I knew it was him but yes. I couldn't remember his name and so that's why I was just so I, you know that's the Coen Brothers casting right there is that like they they make sure that they get whoever's perfect for that role and I'm sure they saw Naked because that came out a few years just before. Um, uh, the Big Lebowski. And also, we mentioned Philip Seymour Hoffman as the character Brand, who is uh, the Big Lebowski's His, house person, oh, butler, whatever you want to call him. He, in this movie, especially in the beginning, gives me the vibe of he was he he was one of the uh, the little Lebowski urban achievers at one point, and he yes. he, he loves the Big Lebowski yes. like Dad. And that is still the most awkward laugh ever after Tara Reid says, yes. I'll suck your dick for a thousand bucks. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then I love yeah. the dude's reaction when he's like, 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 like sheep herding him out of the backyard. He's like, well, I'll be I'm back. I got to go find machine. him. You think these are the carpet pissers? But, it's like, but, well, dude, we don't know. That's, how, that's I love the, the Coen brothers direction. And this film brings it. I mean, their writing is famous as their scripts. There is not usually a lot of improvisation, as you see in a lot of other films. They know exactly what they want, what it's, line it's delivered. It's like Wes Anderson, what, but they don't get enough credit for like how meticulous their scripts are. They know how to replicate improvisation. But yeah. it, it, it's 
so important for the actors too to be able to deliver exactly what they're looking for. And that's why I love that Philip Seymour Hoffman reaction after the blowjob reference from Tara Reid, because you can see in his eyes that he's had this exact same reaction probably five other times in the last four weeks. So yeah. uh, he's, he, it says something that he's one of the like the most memorable parts in the film, and yet he's really only in it for probably like a good cumulative ten minutes. I yeah, mean, ancillary character. Yeah. yeah. Um, we hit on a little bit about Roger Deakins and some of the beautiful shots in this film. I feel like there are things in this movie that I have never seen in any other films, and I've seen things like it, but never exactly that. The scene towards the end of the movie where they have the fight with the nihilist, yeah. and 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 uh, my favorite line that Walter has when Donnie says, "Oh, are, are these guys dangerous?" Uh, no, are Donnie, these, these people are cowards. Yeah, <laughs> these are not. Are these Nazis? No, they're nihilists, Donnie. They're absolute cowards. No, 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 no Donnie, they're cowards. When the fight in, ensues and everything happens, and Donnie has a heart attack and die, I believe that is a scene where we we kind of pan away and we see the stars on the side of the bowling alley, yes. and it goes to dark except for the stars. What a there. beautiful transition! That is fantastic. Um, to mention some other little scenes like even though this is probably it's very easy to do just the fact that they did it when they put the camera in the bowling ball yeah. and when that's going down the oh lane oh my god such know, an like, awesome shot little things like that that truly do <laughs> send you for a loop <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. nothing but the best. You are so here fucking clever, man. <laughs> I know. But no, but it's little things like that that like they they are going the extra mile. Like every shot is completely thought out and that's and you can tell by every, you know, like when you watch it, it's it's just beautiful. Um oh, and another thing is uh, during the beginning, one of my favorite things about this the way this film opens is besides the narration what's being paired with the narration is some great imagery of first we see the desert and then we see the tumbleweed go into literally uh, uh, urban tumbling tumbleweed we see the tumbleweed literally in urban LA and like the way that shot across that bridge or whatever it it totally sets the mood of how this like we're going to get basically a comedy of culture clashing Mm -hmm. we've talked a lot of it too a lot about about the script I mean we've hit on a lot of things about this and we you know, you also mentioned Nick earlier in the episode how this kind of jumps around from genres, and I feel like this movie delves into physical comedy and actual like haha comedy that you would see in not necessarily like a Dumb and Dumber or something like that. But the beginning of the film where he's writing the check for sixty nine cents and he's post dating a sixty nine cent check, yeah. or also when he gets hit in the face with the coffee cup by the sheriff. I mean, it's those little physical comedy things that. It's you you not would not a, expect from this kind of movie, and they deliver it to you, and it's just fucking priceless. It's not above any kind of comedy. And we see that in almost every Coen Brothers film. I mean, even in like Inside Lewin Davis, which is a much more serious film, but mm-hmm. still funny, in my opinion. Um, That's because you're a horrible person, so I know. it's okay. Uh, but there's a scene in there of Lewin hitting his head on the window when he's going, trying to go after the cat. I mean, you know, like they just... I think their only question is, is this funny? Not what type of humor this is. And they just let it go because it, it always is. I think the scene I laugh hardest at every fucking time, it never fails, is when he drops his joint while he's driving. Yes. And yes. then he, like, swerves and it's a dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> the, 
I don't know what I would say, but the choreography of that car crash right. is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> like swerves right yeah, and then left. And <laughs> the blocking of it makes you think that he's just going to go like off into the distance. And yet all of a sudden at the last second, he just completely co- course corrects it into the dumpster that he was so easily going to miss. Like That's one of the, the greatest comedy set pieces that I've ever seen. I, I completely Never fails. Agree. I laugh yes. the it, hardest every time. It, and it's, it's such an impact too. Like I Obviously there must have been a stunt driver in it, but it's, right. it's just for that shitty car to take that beating it's just right. hilarious uh man tucson i feel like you haven't gotten a chance to jump in uh, enough on this episode no. and, and i i want to give you another opportunity because i feel like the three of us are just circle jerking the shit out of this yeah, movie you, so you guys have pretty much touched on like everything that i've really liked about this film um i i mean i could i could reference like moments that i've really enjoyed out of the big lebowski but i don't know if I can like really add anything new that hasn't already been said about this film. And well, that's what the conflicting part about it, because this film as of December of last year of 2014 has been inducted into the library of Congress. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been estimated as being culturally meritable and worthy of, of, of preservation for the single fact that this film was pretty much the first cult film of the internet generation. It's spawned convention. There are literally it, it like, big Lebowski like, like, things where you go to and like you obviously watch the movie but you go bowling. Exactly. It's like a whole thing. Going off of your yeah. um your 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 first comments about this film about how it has one of the most weirdly like positive and 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 self-affirming like like vibes about a film, that's one of the reasons why this film has resonated for so long and why it continues to resonate not only just because it is a it is a sharply constructed film, but because it is such a oddly positive, it takes and, the piss out of film noir. Yeah, because it, it, and it makes you feel good in yeah. general. Yeah, I mean it's it's the same structure, but it doesn't basically get down on its own cynicism. It's a feel good film that allows us to laugh at the at 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 at, at the, the 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 mockery of the human condition. Without being too cynical, it's 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 an awesome film. And Tucson, another thing I wanted to ask you about, and Nick hit on a little bit of this about the English language in this film being played with, which the Coen brothers, who are terrific scriptwriters, mm-hmm. are I wouldn't necessarily say masters all the time in their scripts, but they have they have done a great job using the horrible English language. And mm-hmm. you being an a, English major, an English major, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, there are so many things in this film where things are either called back or the things are kind of changed around. My, one of my favorite lines um, is when the dude says, "Mr. Treehorn treats objects like women." He treats objects like they're women. <laughs> yeah, man. it's like it's it's mapping the uh, the the metaphor to the actual object that you're trying to like yeah, like yeah. talk about, and it's. <laughs> but I think I think that is we talk about the dude have con- having conventions that people. Some people, I think, are have actually changed their lives to yeah. live more like him as a person. It's it's that outlook on life that is, yes, I am smart and I know what the world is, but I'm going to live it the way I actually really want it's, to live it's it. A, it's well, I mean, a contemporary say what you want about it, but at least it's an ethos. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's like it's like a contemporary like manifestation of like Zen Buddhism in action. It's 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 and incredible. It, it also it it. F- defies those hippie quote-unquote stereotypes because when in some ways at least okay (laughs) like when they're in the um when they're in the diner and uh, walter starts shouting because the sir you need to keep it down yes and he and then 
it's the dude who says, Walter, this is not a First Amendment thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he's the one to point out that, Walter, you're acting like a fucking crazy person. Yeah. And I'm not just, you know what I mean? I'm not okay. And he leaves the diner. So, I mean, like, he's not, he doesn't take every instance to protest. He just, he's just all about himself, but not in a selfish way. He just mm-hmm. wants himself to be happy. But Walter, at the same time, as a character, I feel like is almost the same, not the same exactly, because he's a much different character than the dude. But he still is trying to do like like pleasing thing. When he talks about Judaism and he talks about like Saturday Shabbos, I, one of my favorite lines of his is saying three thousand years of tradition from Moses to Sandy Koufax. Just, like he, he literally pulled the two Jewish people he's ever yeah. heard of and mentioned them in the same sentence. And the dude pokes uh, holes in that too because <laughs> and that was one of my favorite moments of the movie is that actually once again as I was saying earlier the movie has so much affection for its characters. Uh, going off, kind of riffing off that, you know, Walter's constant fixation on his Judaism is uh, when he, when the dude finally points out to him toward the end of the film, he's like, you know, you got divorced from Cynthia five years ago. When you're divorced, you don't have to turn in your fucking library card. <laughs> exactly, which is like a hilarious exchange, but it's also at least a little more note of like maybe why, yeah, Walter is clinging on to this because unfortunately he, he prefers his he past to his present. Yeah. Like he keeps on mentioning Vietnam and un- understandably like he's using the role of a Vietnam vet and it's like obviously that's a, right. an experience that has very much colored his worldview, but he seems yeah. to be holding it as like a... It's the only thing that as, makes as a, sense as a, to him. As a darling instead of like something that like is augmenting his reality. Because he can't face the fact that it probably shouldn't make any sense to him. Like, exactly, yeah. yeah. It, it shouldn't bring him Going comfort. Going back to um, my assertion of this film as a feel-good film, like just remembering what I wanted to say before, is that The Big Lebowski manages to be a thoroughly feel-good film without being saccharine and while yeah. being fake. It feels very... It feels like a genuine film. But I, I don't think anybody, and maybe people can say that here, I don't think you would get that from watching this the first time. No. I feel like you need multiple, like you said earlier to me, Nick, three to four viewings I, to get what this movie actually is. I literally said to you that I don't trust anybody's opinion on the film if they haven't seen it at least three times. And that means whether good or bad. Like, mm-hmm. that you need to watch this film, and you need to watch it again, and you need to watch it at least one more time. <laughs> because... Until you can truly, in my opinion, sit down. I mean, because even now, if you were to like quiz me on the plot, I'd probably get tripped up because it is such a convoluted maze. Joel Cohen has even said that the uh, the the plot is secondary. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, that's the thing is that I wouldn't necessarily, obviously, even be able to get all that kind of stuff right. But after seeing it so many times, I'm finally on the wavelength of what it's trying to do, and I that's why I love it because I figured it out, and I just want to keep returning to it and it's so much about the little things throughout the entire movie i i love there's three or four different instances where his answering machine in his apartment picks up and it's just what's going on in the in the answering machine the messages that are being left it's just ridiculous the the scene when the cops are over after his car gets stolen yep it's just like what was the conversation? Well, I, it the was, first um, one was they, about... They're there for two reasons. One of them is right. the rug. And so while they're questioning him about the rug, they all of a sudden somebody calls his phone, and on the answering machine it's Maude. And he's like, hey... I found uh, your yeah. rug. Yeah, he goes, I stole your rug. And then all of a sudden the cops laugh, and they're like, well, I guess we solved that one. <laughs> that, this is this is yet another, and it's been brought up in more recent Coen Brothers films. There was a clear, um, poor view of... 
police and law enforcement from yeah. the Coen brothers. Yes. And it's shown later, too, is they almost always portray them as being stupid. Yes. And that comes up in the, the car scene where he's like, yeah, man, we've got four guys working on They got us working in... What, are, what does <laughs> he got, say? They got us working yeah, in... Yeah. Yeah. Working yeah. in yeah. And he's cracking up. And he's cracking up, and the dude's just like, and then come on, man. Later on, when the dude is actually uh, brought in, and he's talking to that one chief or whatever, and yeah. the chief is like completely chewing him out for no reason when whatsoever. He, when and he force pushes the cup... Like, he doesn't throw, yeah. he just, like, force pushes the cup into yeah. his forehead. That was amazing. Which was yeah. great. Uh, just his delivery of after the chief gets all done with that, and he just, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> like, that's, like, the one thing he could have said to him to completely take yeah. all air out of everything. The, the nonverbal cues, which, obviously, it's a movie, so you're going to get a lot of that. The nonverbal cues from the the dude are some of the best things. Because it's not even the line he delivers with it. I was paying attention. It's the... It's the fucking look he's giving. There's the mm. what I wasn't paying attention. Like, <laughs> yep. but what the fuck? Go ahead, Dusan. Uh Going off of what what you talked about before, just about the use of language in this film. Yeah, I there's there's a actually an article on mental floss that talks about like the ten big words like used in Big Lebowski, and there's micturate, which is to urinate on something, <laughs> nihilist, which yep. is like a it's not an ethos, like <laughs> um, Shabbos, like the the Jewish holiday, fatuous parlance fascist and my favorite one paraquat yes which yes. is which is like you human paraquat i was like what the fuck does that mean i actually that looked that great. up yesterday and what yeah. does it mean i don't remember okay <laughs> paraquat <laughs> is reference to a, a a type of um it's a type of of plant poisoner that was used in the 1970s 1980s that was kind of like around the same time of like using things like Agent Orange and stuff like that in oh, order to yeah. like like weed out weed out um oh like uh, po- like, like, po- like current current kind of like like, things? like ah. political dissidents and stuff like that so when he's calling him a human paraquat it means that he's literally killing and destroying everything that he touches which which to the dude is totally true yeah yeah he doesn't try he's, he tries to be a nice guy man um so i i think if we talk about this anymore, we're actually going to recite every line of dialogue from this movie. I want to ask one roundtable question. Let's do it. Because we've talked about all the things that make this film great and why it's so long enduring and why we, we love it and what our specific favorite parts are. If you're going to ask me for a flaw, I'm not going to be able to answer I'm not going to ask you for a flaw. I'm not going to ask you for a flaw. I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question because it seems to be something that's roped into... The fact that movie-going audiences, general movie-going audiences, when they love something, they're not able to describe why it is that they like something. And in, in, in trying to recapture that experience, they will often clamor for either a remake or a sequel. And here's what I want to ask you guys. No, absolutely not. All right. If, and if, if why? And why? Are you adverse to a sequel about The Big Lebowski? I agree with you guys, but I want us to be able to articulate and put that out there and make our stance as to why this film should not be like expanded upon or remade. Can I use another film as a reference yes, point? Yes, you can. Is I would use a film, and it's not the exact same kind of film, but I would use a film like It's a Wonderful Life as an example of a reason why The Big Lebowski should not be remade. Mm-hmm. You, you look at the It's a Wonderful Life, which followed a very similar path as The Big Lebowski, as it started off as a failure of a theatrical release that nobody cared for when it first came out. And with more viewings, 
people all of a sudden fell in love with it. It's a cult classic. And, and it's not a perfect film. And it, it to me, neither is The Big Lebowski. No. And I, 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 you guys may disagree. But at the same time, it is, it's, it's, and it's kind of tough to compare it necessarily all the way with It's a Wonderful Life because it's been around for so much longer than The Big Lebowski. And it, it is more into the actual, like, gr- whole group of um, America's culture. But I still feel like it is such an important cultural film that if you make a remake about this, it would not be like making a remake about RoboCop or exactly. something like that. It would be destroying the essence of why the film was made. Certainly yeah. not a remake. I would I would hate to see a remake of it because this is one of my favorite movies. But I, I feel like they left the door open at a certain point with him having a kid possibly it's with more of Julianne an, Moore. It's but, more of an epilogue. Well, it's more of like a... No, I know what you're, he's talking about the idea yeah, I know, that he's yeah. conceiving with the right. mod. But it's like they left the door open for it. I but... think there's a lot of doors left open in this movie, and that's the point. Of mm-hmm. that. The dude chooses which doors to walk through, and yeah. all the other ones he just doesn't care about. So that's yeah. why if there's even a mention of a sequel or a remake, I will literally stab you. Yeah. To <laughs> what, because you're the I, one who brought this I didn't fruition. mean to put that out in the universe. I wasn't the first one to do it, and I don't want it. No, anyway. but there's no real... There's no reason whatsoever. And not no. only that, but this is the kind of film that only gets made because of the circumstances that surround it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's 1998 that this got released. It takes place in 1994. This mm-hmm. is so idiosyncratic that any remake would completely miss the point of why this worked in the first place. And that's my definition of a classic film. I think that The Big Lebowski is a classic film because even though it's it's set in 1994... It came out in 1998, right before the, the turn of the millennia. It's a film that is very much a film of its time, but it's a film of all times. We're all this kind of film couldn't be made post 9/11. It, it, I don't it think. couldn't. It, I mean, it couldn't. It, it's a film that where that is able to resonate with so many different audiences because we are able to see so much of ourselves and what we would like to see out of ourselves in the behavior of the dude. He's not a perfect person no. by far, and that's what makes but, him relatable. But, but, but people the f- aren't, aren't – nobody's perfect. But the fact that he has the virtue when he is constantly like set at odds with these extraordinary circumstances, that's what makes this film unremakeable and unsequable, in my opinion, is because it is the story of a man, of an extraordinary, unexceptional man thrust into extraordinary, exceptional con- – like like – Circumstances like this is the craziest shit that's ever happened to him in his life, and I don't think that trying to follow that up with an arbitrary, even crazier, off the wall situation, I feel like that will only serve to dilute what made the first film to, so great. To make a sequel would to, to acknowledge the fact that that the first movie was this. Sp- very random happenstance, like but, narrative-wise. That these, if you make a sequel, you're already basically contriving. It. You're saying that these 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 extraordinary, like once in a lifetime circumstances are re- replicable, right? And that takes away from the poignance and and the, and the power of those original events, right? All right, guys, I think we should uh, move into ratings and um, let's start as we usually do with Nick. Well. Um, if I haven't talked enough during this particular um, episode... I think you can never talk enough, Nick. Oh, uh, I'm not going to say literally much at all here. I'm going to say this is a five out of five star film for me. This is amazing. This is one of the 
this is one of the best scripts I've ever uh, seen a film have. Uh, definitely, I would call it, personally, a perfect film. I think everything is in its right place, even if it looks obtuse from a distance. And what every... a fucking Shawshank Redemption name drop. I love you. <laughs> Wait, what? Anytime anybody uses the word obtuse oh. now, it has to be related to Shawshank Redemption <laughs> somehow. I don't even like that film. So. Oh my God. But you know what I'm talking about from it, right? I've only seen it like one time, and it was like seven, eight years ago. So, no, I'm just using my Explain vocabulary. Alex. I don't even know right now. That's okay. No, it's um, Tim Robbins' famous line from that movie when he's talking to the warden saying, how can you be so obtuse? Uh, I yeah. think I vaguely have yeah. memories of that. But well, apparently, uh, I'm the only one who remembers it. That's but, okay. I like that movie a lot. Me and, me and everybody else who watches it on cable every night. I was going to say, you're not the only person. Um, but no, this is a literally the definition of a classic. It gets better every time I see it. It's five out of five stars, and I just don't think movies get much better than this at all. So that's all I have to say. The Big Lebowski is one of many classics in the over of... Um, that's how it's pronounced, over? It's like O-E-U-V-R-E. Yeah, it's like of of the Coen brothers. Um I think it's maybe it's Uber. Uber, well, yeah. I mean, like with a French accent. Yeah, yeah. But there are very few films that I am willing to give a a five out of five of. I think that my criteria of a five out of five is that it has to be, well, there are extraordinary circumstances, but it has to be a film that I feel like I walked away from it with having having a a changed outlook, or that it improved on my um, on my life in such a way of having been able to see this film, and I feel that. The Big Lebowski is one of those films that I feel like my life is just a little bit better for having experienced it and, and having to see such a well-constructed comedy that is also um, a weirdly life-affirming sort of film. And I would definitely give it a 5 out of 5 and recommend it to any moviegoer. As long as you don't like curse words that much. So. <laughs> I mean, as long as you can tolerate them. Yeah. I, I hate to keep this going, but I'm going to give it another 5 out of 5. Um I, I'm kind of surprised that you guys liked it as much as, as, as I did. It's one of my absolute Nick, Nick, favorites. Nick would but... talk to you about this movie for 10 hours if you let right. him. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll I... turn the microphones off. We'll keep going. <laughs> um, Bonus to, to me, Jeff Bridges, this role was made for Jeff Bridges. He has been nothing but the dude since. Right. That's what I was going to say. Even Every when time they cast I... him in Tron Legacy, yeah, he, was he, was, playing yes, the dude. he was the dude. Every time I see him in anything now, I can't think of anything but the dude. And that well, to me just is like just... your opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I think the only film that he's successfully gotten away from being the dude was in the original Iron Man. But yeah, well, he that, was a villain. He was a villain, and he was definitely the anti what the dude is all about in that film. Nah, but... He was still the dude. Ah, <laughs> hey, you haven't watched Iron Man recently, have you? Um, yeah. Every time I watch it, it's funnier and funnier and i get more and more joy out of it it absolutely it it uh gave me my passion for drinking white russians <laughs> i uh have been drinking them ever since the first time i watched this movie um, they're so good man <laughs> but see when you order a white russian now i feel like if you ordered a white russian in 1995 people are like what? right and now if you order one they're like yeah everybody knows but uh yeah i don't know um five out of five my absolute favorite line from the movie, that rug really tied the room together. So, yeah. Tied the room together, man. It's a, it's a, there are so many quotable lines, and there are so many great things to say about this film. 
Um, I'm, I guess I'm going to come off like I don't like this film as wow. much as you guys. No, that's but, fine. Um, no, I, it's, it's not fine. No. Apparently not. No. I, I only give this film a four out of five. Okay. E- even though I genuinely love this film for almost everything it is, sometimes myself as a film viewer, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to get harder about giving perfect ratings right. or... To, to films and to me this is not a perfect film so i can't give it a perfect rating i and do the exact same i try my hardest to not give it a perfect rating but this one and and then that's weird because i feel like i'm the harshest grader of all four of us he really but is. you also love the big but you also love movies like that fucking uh chinese movie poetry or is that is that <laughs> yeah that's a fucking, taiwanese or that's a Okay. Korean, but Korean yeah. is this kind of, <laughs> see this, this racist is, piece of fucking shit. racist. <laughs> this fucking argument is made in the Big Lebowski, man. And it's called back later in the. Big that is Lebowski. not the preferred nomenclature. <laughs> it's really not. Okay, it, it just for the most part for me, I love the script. I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying, okay. Nick. For the most part, I just have to say it's not a perfect film because. Just for me personally, in my preference of films, I can't say that I loved every single moment of this film and every single action that happened in the film. And you know what? What? That's okay. Don't you dare. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Fucking Nick just cock-blocked me from a hand pound. I don't know, man. That was... But even Flea shows up. I know. Flea from Flea the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> and that's he great. Was a, he was making the rounds in the 90s as an actor. Yeah, he man. Was, he fucking rocked out the Back to the Future movies. Well, he was in, there, he yeah. was in um, one of my... I didn't my, know about that. He's in one of my all-time favorite movies, a Gus Van Sant movie called My Own Private Idaho. Oh. He was a minor character. But still, yeah, in the 90s, he was like a... I guess he thought he was going to be an actor, but that didn't really happen. Yeah, Back to the Future, he plays the, uh, the character Needles, the one who is wearing the two ties and having the teleconference which is brought to you by the phone company that is no longer in business (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i just i I guess i can't disagree with anything you guys are saying but for me i can't stamp perfect on this movie because it's not a perfect film for me but i love it i would watch this movie any day of the week and i still give it a terrific score four to five and it is going to go on the top of our hit list because we all love this movie for the most part there was one last tiny piece of trivia i forgot to mention that that i found interesting is uh jeff bridges is in every single scene of this movie. Yeah. Even the scene when the nihilists are at the restaurant ordering their pancakes, apparently he drives by in a van. <laughs> and so okay. he's even in that scene. So. He, he is a true lead character, which I feel like the, the lead character was so important in original film noir, and it always still is, and in just film in general, where is films have become much more about celebrities than actors necessarily. It's been more about the other names that are in the film, but he is a true lead character and he is terrific. And true to the dude's nature, we never see him bull ever. Yep. Yeah. He's always in the alley and he's always right. technically bully, like he's obviously there to bull, but we never actually see a scene of him actually throwing a ball down the lane. Awesome. Which is and there is a scene um where at the very end of the film, it's not the last thing we see, we see a ball rolling down the lane and getting a strike. And we never know who throws that ball, yeah. and it very much could be him mm-hmm. rolling there. The buys. He does, indeed. Um, yeah, this film is uh, terrific, and we could honestly have a four-hour episode on it. But, um, yeah, there's there's a lot more to say about it, but there's also not more to say about it. So it's uh, good stuff. If you have uh, any thoughts on it that we didn't get to or that you want to bring to it, you can always send us an email uh, or hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and let us know what you thought about The Big Lebowski. 
Um, thing I wanted to mention, uh, we talked about the Fast and the Furious 7th movie, Furious 7. Yeah! Yeah, I know Nick is really <laughs> excited. I'm taking him. Taking him. I'm going to buy him his are, junior popcorn. Yeah, I was say, you are literally taking I'm me. I'm taking like you. A baby. Taking you to go see Furious <laughs> 7. The day it comes out. Yes. We're going to get you your little child popcorn and maybe your little, you'll have your little Furious 7 hat on. You're going to ask the, ask the nice man at the counter if you can take the Furious 7 standee home with you. Yeah. You're joking, but this is all happening. <laughs> Anyways, um, I thought it'd be a cool idea to put up a poll on Friday after Furious 7 comes out. Which Fast and the Furious themed film is your favorite? So it'll be up on FilmTankShow.com uh, at least until the following Friday. So at least for a week. And we want to get you know as many votes as we can. But also uh, be interested to see what films the, you know, the general public thinks. Because it's a... And we'll talk about it more during the Furious 7 movie. But it's a, a series that has started somewhere. And it's somewhere completely different yeah, now. I'm Tokyo sure when we... All sure the way. When, yeah. I was going to say, I'm sure when we have that episode, we'll probably spend a little time Absolutely. talking about the, the franchise in general. But it, it's a... Uh, where you could... There could be a fans of the first film that are not fans of the fifth or the sixth. And where it could be the total opposite to... crazy. Too. Well, that is... I would agree with that. So... Um, one thing we wanted to hit on towards the end of this episode is we, uh, or for the most part, uh, most of the panels, except for maybe Nick, are out of their way excited to see the uh, Mad Max reboot that is coming out starring Tom Hardy and uh, Charlize Theron. Look at Get Tucson. It right. Yeah. <laughs> Tucson fucking loves Charlize Theron. Yeah. So um, that film is coming out in later in May. So after uh, Furious 7 and The Avengers, it'll be one of the later possible big films of the summer terrific graphics but a second full-length trailer was just released and i just want to get your guys thoughts on it because i feel like i don't even care and and that's fine should i go first just because i'm gonna be short and sweet and And that's completely against everybody else i know i know but i i i just kind of where i was going with this is that i feel like the second trailer set a different tone than the first one did and it's starting to concern me a little bit nix has has a very funny joke and i enjoy it so it's not a joke it's just an observation but yeah yeah, the first trailer i'm not gonna talk about that at length but did nothing for me okay like it did the rest of the internet what the fuck i know Um, i mean there were some cool money shots but in general my biggest I, I, concern. From, I, I, I'm sorry. I just yeah. I can't get over. I loved how you just fucking said the internet, like saying yeah. every everybody else loved it. It's true, um, but that movie was just money shot for money shot, and it did nothing to convince me that first trailer that there was an actual movie to be made out of this. That's just how I felt. Now the second trailer came along. <laughs> going to be a fucking stick in the mud like I Alex am. with it follows. I will. Really? Oh. Going to be the one guy no, just going to shit saying, on my parade. I'm going to go see it and maybe it's I'll okay, think Kenny. differently. It's okay. Only... We'll enjoy this movie. It's okay. <laughs> Kenny only... has already thrown down the gauntlet that Whoa. he is going to fucking inhale nine buckets of popcorn during <laughs> yeah. during the sitting of yeah. the movie. So, Dude, for but... real. If this was like the fucking popcorn film of the century for me. But that this... second trailer <laughs> The I problem think... is it just it looks exhausting, like and not yes. in a good way. Because it like no. Tim it is like Tim Burton directing a Fast and Furious movie, which is not a good thing because those two things should never touch. Like <laughs> like peas and carrots. It's just they're just <laughs> fucking mix my peas and carrots all the time. But it's the same filmmaker as the original, isn't <laughs> Blasphemous. it? Blasphemous. No, no, I'm not saying it's not or anything like that, but I'm just right. I'm just I, I never saw the original. I don't probably have a interest in seeing the original to You just people. fucking hate Mel Gibson, don't you? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, <laughs> but is he wrong to nothing you? about this screams like I should go see it because it just looks so fucking boring. Like I, 
I get into the Fast and the Furious movies simply because they're having so much fun. This looks a little too self-serious. Dude, like, I get that they're all giggling. They're giggling like they're like little caricatures in a Tim Burton film. But in general, this is like the most high stakes, whatever. Like at least I don't know, like a movie like the Fast and the Furious. What a movie. fucking tornado Dude, that, where yeah. they don't have any water consumes a fucking pit of fire that, with a truck in it. That How- first trailer <laughs> looks like if Alejandro Jodorowsky directed a post-apocalyptic action film. I'm so fucking down for this film. Nick, I'm, I'm curious if you said you haven't seen the original. I haven't, no. I, and I'll see it before we go. I was going to say. Go see The Road Warrior instead. I'm curious what your thoughts would be after seeing it. And and I'm, I'm going to push you to do that. Yeah. You pushed me for, for Fast and Furious, <laughs> which I had no interest in. And now I've started watching them, and I'm you I'm like all on You have to get caught up on the deep, rich lore of the Fast and Furious <laughs> You canon. joke, but there is an actual I know there's hilariously a convoluted <laughs> mythology. No. Literally, like, if you, like the order they were released was not even the chronological order of the films. <laughs> Next one's going to be in Middle Earth. No, did you did you know that, though? The, yeah, I know. The yeah. seventh the film fourth... is, technically takes place after the third film. I know, right? yeah. But, yeah. Isn't the fourth one like a prequel to the third one? Fourth, Jesus. it goes like this. It basically, if you were to actually, hold on, if you were to map them out, one, it would go two, one, two, four, four, five, six, three, seven. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's, in, uh, in, yeah, really, they, they that is the way that they ended up doing it with the story, which is a smart way to do it. But really, they didn't get Vin Diesel to be in the third one, so that's why right, they he was off. apparently he thought he was going to turn the Riddick thing into like a whole franchise. He did. There have been fucking three of those. Okay, three of them. Yeah, but, but the third only, one happened how long right, after like, Chronicles? The Fast and the Furious had way more legs. Like he jumped ship from this franchise to that franchise thinking that that one was going to be the one that took off. Lo and behold, it was the Fast and the Furious one that actually Well, we all know that fucking... What's the fucking movie where he's the nanny? There should have been seven of those. The Pacifier? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a movie. (laughs) Anyway, back to Mad Max. Fury Road. Yeah, it... The first trailer, I feel like it was the second Kingsman trailer for me. It was Ooh, money shot after. Damn! What are you fucking talking about? The second Kingsman trailer is money shot after money shot. But it's I amazing. know your feelings about Kingsman, so I'm just because like... I've seen the film now. Okay. I'm talking about previously before seeing just seeing the trailer. Okay. The second trailer that just got released, I, I it it there. It's kind of going to what Nick was saying of you thought there were not going to be enough of a story. Blasphemy. I feel like now Blasphemy. Now there's going to be too much of a story. There's I want be... those girls back. Yeah. They're my property. We get it's it. Not we... too much of a story. It's, it's, it's just too bland of a story. It's just actors shouting lines like they're reciting Shakespeare, but not realizing that they're in a dumb action film. But that is how this kind of film... It, all it has to be is... Yes, there are fucking people who have gone crazy. It's the fucking Lost Boys from the Steven Spielberg Hook movie without water. They fucking went crazy. I feel like and you don't like Hook. I, in- I, I do, but that's what some of the fucking crazy people look like yeah. in the Mad Max trailer. I feel for me. like Mad Max, the entire movie is just supposed to be like the start of a battle scene. Yeah, that's but that's what I want the it to be, enti- and it's right. not going to be. I don't think my no. world is fire and blood. I guess that's that's how I know that the movie's just not for me because both trailers do nothing for me because I both I don't want it to be a movie that's a nonstop action piece and then yet when I see the second trailer I have no interest when they open their mouths. We, we have the leader though of this this group that is opposite the group of Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron who yeah. is trying to control things 
and, and it seems like he's almost getting a fucking like Malekith from Thor two monologue during mm-hmm. a scene during uh, the second trailer. And I'm watching and thinking, I'm oh, impressed my. that you remember his his name from Thor two because I can't even remember his name. It's just because Christopher Exelson plays him to a fucking T. So yes, yeah. but. <laughs> If there is like all kinds of dialogue and monologues and oh man, I just don't know. I think that would fucking ruin this movie. I want it to be action and crazy shots and amazing graphics and that's all I want it to be. It doesn't need to be some mythological deep fucking story. I don't think it's going to just doesn't need to exist. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's going to be that. I think I'm really looking forward to this film for a lot of reasons, not only because I'm a fan of the pre-existing Mad Max films. I'm hoping that this Charlie's is... Charlie's Theron. Wait, wait, <laughs> hold on. I'm, I'm getting that. Like, let me go down my list, okay? I'm hoping... I'm really, really hoping that instead of just, like, being another installment in between, like, The Road Warrior and Thunderdome as it's rumored to be, I haven't done a lot of research on that. I ho- I'm hoping that this is just a, a flat reboot of the franchise because I don't want... Like this film to be saddled by the the pre-existing canon or the imagery of the the previous films. I want it to still be in the same vein because it's it's a franchise revival. But I want Tom Hardy to be the new Mad Max. I want him to be his own Mad Max. I, I oh. think I think that's the most interesting part. Is both trailers have withheld almost everything about his character and what he's going to be. We can assume things about him, but we really know less about him than we know about almost every character from Who's the Who's more minutes. crazy, Mad Max or the or everyone else? But that, we, but we haven't found that out, which is a good thing. I'm I looking think forward about, to that. I think I think that could be a good thing about it. But the second trailer got me a little concerned. I just I, that's all I wanted to really bring. That up. and 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 going back to what Kenny said, I am really excited to see where Charlie's there, and we'll go with this <laughs> because. I'm probably the only person in this room, maybe the only person on the planet, that thinks that Charlie's Theron looks hot without hair and with black Ooh. face mask. Yeah, I, I think you'll have to fucking row that boat by yourself, yeah. mate. I'm sorry, I, I think she's I hot. Can't, I can't even get on board with that. Dude, dude. Punk Everything about sorry. this movie, but you lost me there. Sorry. sorry. Yeah. So, Kenny, you just saw the second trailer, too. You, you didn't see the same kind of things that I saw from it? No. Dude, they're trailers. I don't read into trailers that deeply. It, this movie is going to fucking be awesome high five yeah besides Toussaint who keeps fist bumping and high fiving me you you two Nick and Alex fuck you guys (laughs) fuck you guys I I was gonna be awesome I've high five Nick before I tried to fist bump fucking Toussaint another time and I got fucking cock blocked by (laughs) by Nick by the short one over there I don't know I that's that's just how I feel they're they're trailers I'm not gonna read too far into them and I'm gonna go see it and look I'll be the first to admit I'll be the first to admit if the movie sucks I'll tell you but I'm not gonna let the trailers. I I think the person who puts most stock into trailers in this table is Alex. I do too. Right here. I don't. Second. I one. don't even think that this movie is gonna be exactly what I think it is because of the trailer. I'm just saying the trailer yeah. at all does not like the Furious Seven trailer got me on board to watching that movie because it had a fucking car going from a building to another building. This <laughs> whole fucking movie is a car going. Well, from I know, a- but that's the whole thing is I don't want the entire movie to be. It's just, no, like it yeah. was a wonderfully spaced apart money shots. It was like first we had cars. 
falling out of a plane, then all of a sudden we slow it down and we just have ridiculous people pretending like they're family and all that shit. And then all of a sudden we have... Family. But this, that's why the first trailer did nothing for me because it was just like, oh, action, 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 cum shot, action, action. <laughs> it, was just like, it, just, uh, it just annoyed me more than it actually thrilled me. Because if you if you do nothing else, then all of it's going to seem... Well, and it all pills. I understand, yeah. I, I think the thing about the first trailer that got me most excited... Is if these are the the medium me, medium best, if there are the okay effects and then the medium effects and then the fucking best effects, and these aren't even the best of the entire film, I'm way fucking excited. But if they gave out every single best effect from the film, I don't see gonna, how they couldn't have. Yeah, I'm just, I, no, I'm I, just I, saying I, as far I, as like literally yeah. the ratio of how many cuts there are in that trailer and yeah. different scenes. I'm like, what else is as there? As far as that. Tornado dust storm goes. That's going to be the best scene it's, in the movie. It's got to be. But you know what? I don't even care. Remember I, just, when I that, cannot wait to throw my fucking money at this movie. <laughs> I just can't wait. That one character, like at the the front of the uh, the post apocalyptic fleet, like he has like I think it's like yeah, either a flamethrower or a guitar, and he just does a riff, and it <laughs> yeah. just like spews out fire. I'm just like fuck yeah. There, there, there <laughs> was do this. There was way more of that in the second trailer. Like there was going to be music played during these battles that are happening on the actual yeah. vehicle. Like it was like the Super Bowl halftime show for some reason. <laughs> There's no fucking shark this time. Though, the so that's good. The that's, no, that's not good. I want to see the sharks there. <laughs> All right. Sand sharks. All right, guys. We're going to talk more about Mad Max at length uh, as we'll be definitely doing an episode on it in the uh, next month and a half when it comes out. I think we'll bring this uh, seventh episode of Film Tank to a close, though. Um, again, if you uh, have any thoughts on The Big Lebowski... Or maybe if you have any thoughts on the uh, Mad Max trailers, I encourage you to email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on filmtankshow.com, where we will have a poll starting on Friday uh, and going until the following Friday about which is your favorite Furious, Fast and the Furious film. And the seventh film will be included in that as it is being released uh, on Friday, April 3rd. Uh, also, you can catch up with us on uh, iTunes or Stitcher if you want to uh, subscribe or rate and review our podcast. We would obviously appreciate everything with that uh, if you would like to. And also, we were we are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Film Tank Show. We got to get those followers up. Go follow us. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, that's uh, tell the people who are already following us to go follow <laughs> us again. Uh, go get more followers. Go yeah. get them. Well, yeah. maybe not. So. Instead of following us, go interact with us because that's yeah. it, that's the funnest part about those platforms yeah. is the interaction. So, at the very least, share something. Right, you we love talking to you guys. Absolutely, or right. don't because at the very least, we're glad you listen. <laughs> <laughs> that also is true. So both statements are true. But yes, I'd love to interact with anybody. If you'd like to get a hold of the show, please email us or uh, tweet at us or send us a message on Facebook or whatever. From Nick Cheney, who's on Twitter at uh, Nick J. Cheney, also Tucson Egan at the Saint of Tus, Kenny Marcellus at White Limo 61, Woo. and myself, Alex Deekman. I'm at Alex underscore D I E C K M A N N. You can find me on Twitter there. Thank you very much for listening to this episode, and we will catch up with you next week with our Furious 7 episode. Take it easy. Mm-hmm.